to prepare our hearts. To those of you who are here, it's good to see so many of you gathered. It is our combined service. We uh, didn't have our Saturday service yesterday, and I hope that uh, all the Saturday service uh, regular attenders are actually here. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a day in which uh, we remember the 50th day after um, um, the Passover, after Easter, as it were. And in the Jewish uh, faith, it's called Shavuot, the festival uh, of weeks, the feast of the weeks. And in it, uh, they often remember the giving of the Torah when you know the Israelites were brought out of uh, uh, Egypt, crossed over the Red Sea, and entered into the wilderness. You know, God met Moses on Sinai and presented him the Torah, the law. And, you know, it was the birth of a nation, as it were, because now they had a, a way of life that they were supposed to live out to. Pentecost itself, in the Christian tradition, is often recognized as the birth of the church. And more importantly, you know, as the law was given to the people of Israel, at Pentecost, I believe, this prophecy that Jeremiah made came to pass. For this is the covenant, the new covenant that Jeremiah speaks about, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's why Pentecost is often thought of as the time in which the people of God became the church became, you know, uh, recognized as his people in the same way that the Israelites recognized the giving of the law made them his people. But in particular, I want us to think and reflect on this question that was asked by those um, bystanders on the day of Pentecost. They saw that outbreak of the Holy Spirit. They saw, you know, the disciples pouring forth and speaking in tongues, which, you know, uh, they recognized because they came from all over the known world at the point of time. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So I want to try and answer very briefly, going through all the scriptures that we had read this morning, and answering that question, what does Pentecost mean? What does it mean? What did it mean to them? What does it mean, especially for us here today? And, you know, all the biblical scholars sort of uh, agree that Pentecost is the reversal of what happened in Genesis chapter 11 at the city and the place called Babel. You know, you know that story. It was read to us quite ably by uh, uh, Shalene. And it's a story of how the people were united. And they said to themselves, right, look, the people are united. God said, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And it's really a, a, a testimony to the importance of unity. In that sense, how in, in unity we can accomplish anything. That's what God himself said. But why was it a problem? It's because if you look a few verses earlier, they said, let's make a name for ourselves. That we want to make our own name great. We want to elevate ourselves to the heavens. And that's precisely why it was a problem. Which is why as Christians, we should always understand unity is never an end in itself. Yes, we seek unity of the body of Christ, but it cannot be just unity for unity's sake. Because if it's unity for the sake of just proclaiming our own name and not the name of God, 
not glorifying Him, then it's unity for a, a wrong purpose with the wrong motivation, as it were. And so God dispersed them and confused them. And so Acts 2 is really a reversal of that curse. That the disciples were united in that upper room. They were there in one accord. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, that language barrier was removed. That, you know, all of a sudden we see that God had poured out His Spirit upon all flesh so that His name may be great on the earth, so that we can be His witnesses to the entire earth. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, said this, At Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. And that's what we see on the day of Pentecost. And that's why, you know, he quotes Peter as he preaches to the crowd. He quotes from the prophet Joel saying, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. And that's the precise uh, significance of Pentecost, that God poured Himself out by His Holy Spirit upon all of us, that He's been poured out on us in great measure. But I know that as time has gone on, people don't necessarily uh, welcome that <laughs> as much as before. And in some ways, if you think about what happened on the day of Pentecost, it's not so different today. Right? There are objections which were raised. And the scoffers, you know, basically in their ridicule or their scorn or disbelief, they said, these guys are drunk. They're intoxicated. Right? They are filled with new wine, which is being very sarcastic. New wine is basically grape juice, unfermented grape juice. And, and saying, right, these, the, something is wrong with them. Even in our day and age, you know, there are people, Christians, unfortunately, who also, you know, present some kind of hesitation towards an outpouring of the Spirit, towards what God has done and what God can continue to do. Here in Church of the Good Shepherd, we know that, you know, this was uh, one of the, the, the seedbeds of the charismatic renewal in the 70s, how the Holy Spirit was poured out in all flesh. And I've been in conversations with you when my dad was the pastor here and how you had attended meetings, that you had experienced uh, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. But as time went on, there have been people who sowed some of confusion. People who have said things which, you know, maybe have caused you to wonder, is this really of God? Is, or is it something of the devil? You know, let me point out to you that it cannot be of the devil because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus was talking to the disciples and telling them to ask God anything. Ask, seek, knock, right? Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find, knock, and the door will be opened. And in that context, he said, you know, if you ask, you are, who are evil, your children ask for a fish, will you get a snake? Will you give your child a snake? Ask for bread, do you give them stones? If I, I think more contemporarily, you know, your child comes up to you and says, Daddy, give me a hug. Do you slap him in return? Obviously not, right? No, Father, even though we are sinful, Right? We know how to give good gifts to our children. Why would God 
who is all-powerful, allows Satan to give you something else if you prayed for the Holy Spirit. So, you know, that's not what happens when we ask for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that is of the devil. I assure you of that. Right? God is more powerful than Satan. Satan cannot intercept our prayers and suddenly substitute what we have asked God for. But I know there are others who struggle with it because as, as, as we talk about intoxication, sometimes you know, being filled with the Spirit, you can appear quite foolish. You're standing nicely, someone lifts their hand, lay a hand on you, and then boom, you fall over. <laughs> right? It seems strange. Or you burst out speaking in a language that nobody seems to understand. And, and you wonder, what is this? Right? And you don't like this idea of losing control or doing strange things or appearing almost like you are drunk, as they did on the day of Acts, uh, uh, Pentecost in the, in the book of Acts. But, you know, if we read Scripture and we are people of the Word of God and we believe the Word to be God's Word to us, then we need to see that Scripture points out and warns us. You know, in uh, uh, Paul writing to the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22, he says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Or in other languages, uh, translation says, Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. It's a very clear command from the Lord. Don't quench the Spirit's fire. Don't try and pour water on it. Don't try and put it out. If God gives a gift, it's a good gift. Now, I know that there are some very conservative Christians who try to say, you know, all this was then, it is not now. It was for the book of Acts because the church was starting and it's not for now. That's not how I read my scripture because if that's the case, then I can start to dismiss all kinds of things in scripture that are inconvenient for me. That was for then, not for us now. I mean, that's how uh, uh, some liberal Christians talk about the whole LGBT issue. <laughs> that was for them. They didn't understand the science. Now we know better. We cannot operate on that basis because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? There, there, there is a sense in which I believe what God did then, He continues to do now. And, you know, people like that, despite their uh, uh, well-intentioned um, um, efforts trying to help people not go off into the extremes, can find themselves in danger of quenching the Spirit. But I may suggest to you at the other end of the spectrum, we can also be in danger of quenching the Spirit. People, in a sense, who are hyper-charismatic, you know, and you take things to great extremes and you go off on all kinds of tangents and where you cannot tell where is the Holy Spirit uh, starts and where the human spirit takes over. And you begin to sensationalize everything, trying to enhance everything that's going on. You know, and, and I think that's why he said, uh, test everything, hold on to the good, but avoid every kind of evil. That, you know, this is the nature of things that oftentimes Satan does try to sow discord. He may not be able to hijack what God is doing, but he can sow lies, right? Because he is the father of lies. And he sows the weeds amongst the wheat and, and sows uh, tears. And so people get confused about it. And I want to say to you, don't. 
be confused. Look and read what's happening here in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Book of Acts, whose Acts is this book about? Is it Acts of the Apostles? Or is it Acts of Jesus? Or are they the Acts of the Holy Spirit? My answer is yes. <laughs> it's basically all three. Right? We read about the Acts of what the Apostles did in continuing the work that Jesus called them to do, but empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had promised them to send the Holy Spirit. That's why in the Gospel reading we read just now, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You know, um, little over a week ago, we celebrated Ascension Day. It was uh, on a Thursday, about 10 days ago. And oftentimes I've thought, wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus stayed on earth? Wouldn't it have been great, you know, that we get to walk with Him and talk with Him and, and physically interact with Him? Wouldn't I be a better disciple? But if God had confined Himself to time and space in that uh, uh, personal form, which was absolutely necessary for Jesus to do what He did, Christianity probably would have been confined to one very small corner of the globe. That's why Jesus said these greater works will happen when I go to the Father because He points out, I now send you the Holy Spirit. I you know, will send you someone who will help you. He points out to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. I don't know, in our society, that word helper sometimes has uh, negative connotations or, you know, we downgrade the importance of a helper, right? Because we call our domestic workers helpers. But, you know, in the biblical language, a helper is a strong uh, person who comes alongside and gives you strength when you don't have it yourself. God identifies Himself as helper, right, in the Old Testament. And certainly here in Jesus' uh, um, language, when he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he says, another helper, i.e., someone just like me. That, you know, what we have today is far superior to the disciples because he is everywhere and all times, all powerful at work in us, that God, the Holy Spirit is basically God with us, that he is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. That the Holy Spirit is God with us. What does this mean for us? What are the lessons to be learned? In a sense, I would say this. If we are to become all that we are meant to be as Christians, we have to to lose control. The problem we have is we want to be in control of our own lives. We want to do what we want to do. You know, at the heart of it, I've talked about this many, many times, <laughs> at the heart of it, that's what sin is. That I want to be like God. I want to call my own shots. I want to decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. The Christian life is a call to a surrendered life. You know, it's, it's 
a, a willingness to be poured out, as Paul said, poured out like a drink offering, that my life is poured out in service to God, in service to those whom God loves. In the book of Romans, he talks about the fact that we all face suffering and in that context, how suffering builds character and you know, points us to hope. But then he concludes in verse 5 of Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That as Christians, that's what we ought to seek, what we ought to desire earnestly, for God to pour His Holy Spirit into us, not in half measures. That's why the term is used, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptizo means literally to be immersed in. So it's not just filled to one half or one three quarters or even to the brim, but filled till you're overflowing. That's literally what the Bible calls us to do. You know, that we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I often remember an illustration my dad used to use. You know, if we are Christians and we use the metaphor that our Christian life is uh, like sailing a sailboat on the seas, right? Sure, you can take your oar and you can paddle and trying to live that life, but wouldn't it be far better if you raised your sails and the wind of the Holy Spirit blows you along? <laughs> you know, why do you want to fight on your own when God has given you the power to live the life He's called you to live? You know, our theme this year is to trust and obey folks. We're not able to do that in our own strength. Honestly, I can't. I struggle all the time to trust and obey. But it's only when the wind of the Holy Spirit fills our sails are we able to do that. Just this past week, my brother sent out an Instagram um, link uh, quoting a pastor by the name of Jebin Chavez. And I told you at the start how, you know, the book of Acts is really a contrast and a reversal of what happened in Genesis 11. And this pastor uh, in Las Vegas, he wrote this in his uh, Instagram post, which I thought was powerful. And he contrasted Babel with Pentecost. And Babel, he said, was a language, a purpose, a unity, all built around man. Grit, grind, ambition, control, hard work, and all for the wrong reasons. Dependent entirely on gifting and charisma. The house is being built, but the laborers labor in vain. Feels like tension, performance, frustration. Does that sound familiar? Does your life sound like that? The endeavors that you make, even your Christian walk? This is Pentecost. A language, a purpose, a unity, all built around God. Gracious grit. Faith. Hard work. A deep love for others, all for the right reasons. Dependent on the Spirit's power and His ability through us. A house built on the foundation of love, prayer, fasting, dependence on God supernaturally skilled by the touch of God, feels like grace, ease, joy, love. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, warned them. He said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And they are, aren't they? <laughs> Open your papers, you know, scroll through your news feeds. The days we live in are evil. And his warning is this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it's in that context he says to us, Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. You know, those of you who say, oh, I don't like to lose control, that's not entirely true. Right? You like to have a nice dinner and open a bottle of wine and maybe a second bottle and a third bottle. By the fourth bottle, you know, you're feeling no pain. (laughs) And you've lost control in that sense. And Paul is saying, don't get drunk on wine. Because you wake up with a terrible hangover and headache the next day. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And if you read it in the Greek, you know, it is a continuous tense. It says, go, be filled, but go on being filled. I love this book uh, written by a a Roman Catholic pastor, theologian, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's entitled, Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. Recommended to me by Bishop Venice. You know, amazing book uh, and quite interesting, written in a very uh, accessible way. And, and that's precisely what it means to be baptized by the Spirit. To have a sober intoxication of the Spirit. You're not drunk in the normal sense of it. You're still who you are. But God begins to fill you with His Spirit. Begins to fill you with His presence. I end with what... Uh, the invitation that Peter made on that first day of Pentecost. As Peter preached and he talked about what was happening, he pointed out that this happened in the light of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. That Jesus came and walked this earth, that he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And the response of the crowd that day was, what shall we do? There was a conviction, the Holy Spirit rested upon the people, a conviction of sin that came upon them. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But just in case you think that was for then and not for now, Peter goes on to say, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, i.e., us who live in 2022 in Singapore. Not Jerusalem in AD 33. For everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And I believe God's calling each of us to this. I'm not sure what your experience has been as a Christian. Or maybe some of you are here today and you're not yet Christian. You have yet to make that decision. God is calling out to you today. For those of us who have made the decision, are we living a spirit-filled life? Are we rowing a beautiful sailboat? (laughs) Or have we hoisted our sails and let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow us along? Allowing us to enjoy the fullness of the Spirit. My hope and my prayer for us today Pentecost Sunday 2022 is that all of us be filled afresh again.
And I'm making this invitation to you, whether you've experienced it in the past, even now if you still operate in the fullness of the Spirit, I believe we can be filled even more. You know, we are leaky vessels. <laughs> Old Testament tells us we are broken cisterns. And the reality is we need to continually uh, be filled. That this filling needs to be a continuous process. Myself included. And I'm going to make an invitation to you today to respond. I don't often make altar calls. I don't often make invitations. But I feel today, Pentecost Sunday, it's important that we do. It's critical. I believe the Lord wants to pour out His Spirit upon us again afresh. And I want to say to you, in filling of the Holy Spirit, let's not get be distracted by the gifts. Let's seek the giver. And when God gives gifts, they are good gifts. Whether they are gifts of faith, gifts of miracles, gifts of words of knowledge, or discerning of spirits, or the gift of prophecy, or the gift of tongues. I was standing here in this very spot, almost where the vicarage was, one Sunday morning. Because remember, the, our services used to be in the afternoon, and my dad was, you know, in, in his bedroom just preparing. My brother and I walked in, and my brother asked my dad, Dad, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? My father shared with us what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he asked us the question. Tim was six, I was nine. Do you want to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit? And right there in the bedroom, probably about where King Lot, <laughs> uh, King, uh, King Lot was sitting, <laughs> somewhere there where the vicarage would have been. At six and at nine, we received an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we spoke and I've never looked back. You know, I know some of us are worried about it, but I tell you, the gift of tongues is a wonderful prayer language for each of us. I remember so many occasions in my life. Once, when I was on the swim team in All Roberts University, we were headed to another university in Arkansas, icy highway. We hit an ice patch and then van started spinning. At that point, you don't know what words to say. Wow, the whole van, everyone was just praying in tongues. And the Lord, you know, preserved us and stopped the van and we were still on the highway we didn't go off the embankment on either side you know the Lord was right there and there are so many times in my life that's what I've needed I'm not saying you must pray in tongues I'm not saying you you, 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 you don't pray in tongues you're not a Christian but I'm saying if that's available to you why not ask and the God who gives good gifts gives liberally to those who ask but that's not the main point. My main point is that let's ask God for a fresh touch of His Holy Spirit today. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let's come to